Welcome to Draw, Loser, Draw. This is the start of our Thistles Euros and this, today we're going to do Group A. We have four players who have represented Thistle in the past from four different countries and we're going to talk about them all. Joining us to do so are David Forrest. David, how are you? Hello, it's just nice to be at a major tournament for once. I'm very excited to see how this goes. And also joining us, making his pod debut, is Andy McKenzie. Andy, how are you? Uh, great, thank you. Uh, thanks very much for having me on. No, no problem. Uh, I'll come to you first because you, you reached out on Twitter. You, you answered the call. Jacob Mickelson, he's our Faroe Islands representative in Group A. Andrew, what were your memories of Jacob Mickelson? Uh, not very fond, to be truly honest. Uh, he was, I think he kind of came in as a, a sort of, I'm going to say a big name sign. This has all happened when I was back in first year at, uh, at high school, so it could be talking absolute bits, but Back then, I was like, "Oh, that's a pretty decent signing." And I think he played in a friendly or so when I was when I saw it, and he was meant to be like the competition with Kenny Arthur. And I think he, I think he was the starter for a few games anyway. And he just didn't really kind of shine out at all. Obviously, that absolutely shocking goal against uh, Celtic really kind of <laughs> confirmed it. And then he apparently had hope he was homesick and was like, "Okay, I'm away home because I." I'm locked up and I'm away home. Cheerio. <laughs> kind of idea. And I was like, we've never heard anything since, but I'm pretty sure like we were kind of bigging him up and all that as well. I'm fairly certain because I think I was quite excited to be like, all right, here we go. We've got a decent... In fact, that whole squad was kind of... Uh, there was so many new players and all that as well. So, I it was uh, quite an interesting character overall. He was a wee bit before my time, Mickelson, before I started going to games. I remember playing FIFA 04 when I was a kid and he was a Thistle goalie and that. But you are right, he came with decent pedigree. He was capped 73 times by the Faroe Islands and he won league titles over there. So you probably did expect a wee bit more from him. David, I know you did start going to the games a wee bit later as well, but I know you've been looking up Mickelson throughout the day in prep for this. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much the same as you, Matt, in terms of I remember him being in FIFA and I remember... Just the novelty, because I used to, I used to really uh, like be fascinated by the Faroe Islands. I was always a big fan of them. Um, after they played us a couple of times in qualifiers, I remember there was a, a really atrocious, I think it was two each draw against them or whatever. But I was always fascinated by them. It just looked like a great country. So when I heard that the official, even though I wasn't a huge official fan at the time, when they signed a Faroe Islands keeper, I was like, well, you know, that's that's something I'm interested in. But yeah, I mean, he's the third highest capped player in Faroe Islands history. He played over three decades for Faroe Islands. Um, and it's it, it's a bit of a shame that he is kind of defined by the Celtic goal, but, I mean, we can't overstate just how bad the Celtic goal is. It's just... That's what stained my mind over that that, that result, was that 
I immediately to... looked up and I was like, it can't be that bad. It cannot be. Oh, it's, it's that it's... bad. <laughs> Because uh, I was at the game, because like me and my dad, we had season tickets, and obviously that was the second year uh, from that um, that that kind of season, and you were thinking maybe it wasn't that bad, maybe there was a wee a wee bounce or something like that, something that happened. No, he just he just he just fucked it. He absolutely just he just gobbed it, which was absolutely shocking. So it's a bit of a shame. He probably could have done something for this, but I mean, yeah, he's won. Uh, league titles in Faroe Islands. He's won league titles in Denmark. He played in against Rangers in the Champions League. Played against Scotland at Hamden. Um, he clearly is a keeper of some uh, of some repute. He's the third most capped player in Faroe Islands history. He played for them over three decades. He's clearly quite a good goalkeeper. He's just he had a bad run uh, with herself over a couple of games. I mean, by all accounts, some people who in the Twitter, you know, a couple of people mentioned. And he played as a trialist in a friendly. He was apparently like Lev Yashin. He was like an incredible performance and then just actually get signed and then it just didn't work out. And um, yeah, I think it's a case of he will be remembered by Thistle fans for the, the goal against Celtic, which was comical. Um, the ball goes to his hand and it literally just rolls underneath his hand, even though he's got his hand on it. And then it goes in and he can't grab it because he's outstretched on the, on the grass. But I, I, I think he can be definitely be proud of his career. Just didn't work out at Thistle, but um, I wouldn't say he's a bad goalkeeper. Eh, certainly. Just looking at his career, what impressed me? He played right into his forties. He retired at forty-four, and then he made a, a comeback at the age of forty-six, and he kept a clean sheet. So he was obviously highly thought of. If he, if people were still talking him into it in his mid-forties, no, you're right. I think it's like a, a, the Euros twenty twelve qualifiers. He played in those and. Yeah, he played in the Champions League against Rangers and stuff like that. Like, he played some big occasions, um, yep. but no, definitely. So next on the list is a representative from England, not Wales, as David thought before we came on here. It's, it's Bryn Halliwell. Um, so Mr Halliwell was signed in 2010. He made 12 appearances for the club. Uh, obviously, probably most well-known for making over 150 appearances for Clyde in his career. But David, I'll start with you on this one. What are your memories, if any, of Halliwell? I mean, if Bryn Halliwell was just before I started going to games, I think. I think um, so. I can't really have any first-hand experience of him. However, every time that he is mentioned in this podcast or in the pub or whatever, it's usually a, a groan or something afterwards. In terms of he, he, he seems to have been a bit of a bomb scare. And like, it's obviously that thing of how bad is a bad goalkeeper? Is it just a case of like Nicholson he's had a bad time with ourselves or whatever? Like. The, the one thing, the positive contribution that he did bring was the fact that with his sort of below-par um, performances, it forced us to look at the market for someone else and it ended up with us buying Scott Fox, who had an immeasurable effect on us in his first stint. Yeah, clearly it led, led on to better things when he'd left, but I can't pretend to have too much first-hand experience of him, but I, I don't think his reputation is a great one, put it that way. I think you're right. I think he was highly thought of at Clyde. And he probably was a good goalkeeper at the Scottish Lower League level. And, and maybe similar to Mickelson, it just didn't work out in a, a really short sample size of games at Thistle. Andy, can, do you have any memories of Halliwell? Uh, I always remember he always played really well against us. He always played really well. And I think when we did sign him, I think, you know, I think a few of our, like, you know, the fans were like, 
you know, that's quite decent because he used to play really well against us. And then I always remember, uh, I think my dad had a few pals who were play fans and they were like, aye, he only played well against you, but nobody else pretty much. So it was just the fact we were like, all right, okay. And then, as, as you said, he played like 12 or so games and in those games he was, yeah, your heart was in your mouth pretty much and you're just thinking, oh God, they, you just felt like they were always going to score type idea. Um, and it was, I don't think he could ever come and catch a ball from what I remember anyway. So yeah, not um, not fond memories of the, the guy, unfortunately. I was just saying to the guys before we started, his Wikipedia has him in his, at five foot three. And I'm sure he was quite a big guy, so I was scrolling through Google Images trying to get him next to somebody for a bit of context. And I think somebody's been at it on his, his Wikipedia because he's far from five foot three. Yeah, we'll move on. Next on the list is uh, another international who's been capped eight times by Northern Ireland. It is Johnny Tuffy. Um, he was signed in 2006 and made 118 appearances for Thistle. The first Thistle goalkeeper I remember going to games. I always thought he was a great goalkeeper. And to be honest, I'm quite surprised at the, the career he's had since leaving for Hill. I know he got a move up the way into the Premiership and got caps for Northern Ireland. And you never know, returning to Northern Ireland might have been a personal decision. But when he was playing for us, I thought he could have been a Scottish Premiership number one goalkeeper easily, if not more than that. I thought he was a great goalkeeper. He was really agile and he was young when he was with us. He was in his really early 20s. And to get 118 games in at that age as a goalkeeper is is a really impressive achievement. Uh, my memories of him, is, I can remember him saving a, a late penalty at Capelo in a 0-0 draw. I think that was probably my standout memory. Andy, I'll come to you first on Tuffy. What, what do you remember of him? Uh, he was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed like seeing him in goals, and you had always had confidence that he would do. Like I think he had some absolute wonder saves. The game that I always remember, I think he's mentioned it no longer on the uh, the podcast, was the Hamilton game. He was just unbelievable that game. He just no matter what they threw at him, he he just tipped over the bar, or he pushed it around the side, or he just he just got it. He was. He's won like his agility, his shot stopping, yeah, overall like really, really, really good player. And as you said, I was quite surprised. I think did he move to Inverness? I think that was quite a surprise because I thought he could have maybe went to a better team. And he just obviously it just never really happened for him. Well, he we never really got that form with another team. But no, I definitely thought he should have. He could have played at a, maybe a higher level in the uh, the Premiership. David. You have to appreciate the sort of the mantle that he took on when he came in because he replaced Kenny Arthur, who was a mainstay and is, is still at Farhill now. But he, when Kenny Arthur had given it up, it was Tuffy that came in and he really grabbed the initiative of it and he made himself an absolute legend in terms of, I mean, making more than 100 appearances for Fissel these days is just not something that you see happen very often. You And especially like as a goalkeeper to be kept on for that long, over four years, you, you need a bit about yourself to do that. And the fact that, again, he got Northern Ireland caps and, yeah, at least went on, he's had built himself a career in Northern Ireland as a, a mainstay of the, the Danske Bank Premiership there. Like, he's clearly a very, very good goalkeeper. And I don't think you can overlook that. Like, it's, you, you, you kind of have to put him up there with Fox and Cherney. Uh, some people would probably have him over Fox um, in terms of, like, you know, their favourite goalkeepers or whatever with Thistle. Um, he's certainly, certainly in the conversation though and again playing more than 100 games for Fissel is no mean feat I think I would have him over Fox just on the basis that he's not a prick um, I don't know if either of you saw he was back in the news lately he went 
a wee bit viral. A wee bit viral. He was sent off in an Irish Cup semi-final shootout for Crusaders. He was penalised three times in the shootout for coming off his line. He was warned the first time, then booked, and then received a second yellow. I don't know if either of you saw it. The first one, he was quite yeah. a bit off his line. But the next two, he, his, one of his feet was still on the line. It was a, a very harsh call. I felt really sorry for him. I think the, I think the manager just went uh, ballistic about it as well, because no wonder. <laughs> it, was, it was a very, very strange kind of situation that happened with that. You definitely feel that, that that's something you would expect to see of Thomas Cherney, isn't it? You, you expect to see him getting like a warning and a booking for coming off his line and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a very very strange um, and yeah, very harsh to be fair. Definitely is as you say, like, he doesn't look off the line like one of the suits on the line for the last two. Um, but it was very very strange. It's not not very often that you see. Goalies getting sent off, never mind in a penalty shootout. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very bizarre. But it was nice to see his name being floated about again. Yeah, it certainly was. I think Tuffy's emerged as the favourite to win this group. But we do have one more candidate to possibly usurp him. He's from Germany. He made five appearances in 2016 for Thistle and he has appeared on the podcast before. As our friend Thorsten Stuckman, David, I'll come to you on the big German first. I remember being so excited for Thorsten Stuttman when he came in, which sounds really strange, but it was during our emergency goalkeeper crisis where I think all our keepers get injured and we're having a real bad time of it. And we signed him on an emergency loan, and that's always a bit a bit glamorous. Not glamorous, but it's kind of like it, it pricks the interest, so to speak, when you, you see we've signed an emergency goalkeeper and you think, will he actually play, though? Will, will he play? Because if he does, it'll be great. And then I remember I went to the Dundee game. I think it was Ryan Scully got injured. And it was just that moment of realisation going, oh my God, we're subbing on, we're subbing on Stuttman. Oh my God, just want to see what he's like. I, don't think, I think he's our only German to ever play for Thistle. I don't think there's any of note, certainly in the last 20 years or whatever. So it was just a very straight, very novel having a German around and then him playing. And yeah, like, he only had played a couple of games. He had a bit of a shocker against Rangers and he got chipped by Jason Stockley. It, it wasn't it wasn't the best time for him. But, I mean, as you said, we had him on the podcast before and he seems a lovely guy and he's doing really well for himself, um, commentating on the Bundesliga too. He's, again, he's been, you know, my um, mainstay at other places like um, Preston and Doncaster. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, Doncaster, yeah. He's, he's, clearly, he's, he's clearly dependable and... He's doing really well for himself, and yeah, again, it's one of those things where we just seem to have this thing where half decent goalkeepers come to us, and immediately all their powers are eroded the second they get between the sticks. But um, I like Torton Stripman, and I just remember being really excited for him coming on at Dundee. So I can't ever hold, I can't ever not like him for that kind of childlike exuberance that he got out of me that day. Andy. Uh, just before, I think we, I always remember in Sky Sports when we said we signed a German. Uh, do you remember that that kind of story? I think it was the boy that played up front. Yeah, did he play the one game? <laughs> so we did sign a German kind of ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Stuckman, you know, I think my uh, I think I always remember him. He did well against St Johnston away. I'm pretty sure. I always remember because I was like, he, he was massive. I just remember he was just such a big guy, big kind of broad bulky guy and it was like whoa nobody's getting past him pretty much and after that game at St Johnson which I think we won you were like 
decent. No, that's all right. We'll go from here. And then it was the Rangers game where <laughs> we conceded like two goals in the last ten minutes, as per usual against the Rangers. And he was just so slow to get down to stop a, a shot from one of the, uh, their players. And it was just so frustrating because you were thinking if he was, I don't know if he was maybe fully match fit or anything like that, but it was just one of those things that we probably would have beat Rangers that day if it wasn't for those two goals. Even though one was probably an absolute belter right enough, but it was just frustrating. And I think that was maybe the kind of end of his time after that. But overall, it wasn't too bad. I'm not really, I think he's also a really good guy and everything, but for me to go through in this group stage that we're doing now, it's got to be toughy, I think. I will say one thing in Stukman's favour. I remember after he left us, I got a message from a friend saying he'd signed him in Football Manager, and apparently he was far better in Football Manager, despite, despite his advancing age. Apparently he was just an absolute colossus between the sticks for him, a Football Manager, like 2017, 18, something like that. Um, despite his advancing age, so you know, if you if you're ever looking for a cheap signing on Football Manager 2018, whatever, Torsten Stuttman, he's a, he's a good guy in the nets apparently. Players who are better in Football Manager than they were in real life for us is a completely different episode, and probably one that would need hours and hours to record because there are absolutely plenty of them. Um, David Andy said that Tuffy is going to win this group for him, and Tuffy's going to get. I'm going to put my fiver on Tuffy as well to win this group. Is that a clean sweep? Yeah, I think I think going into this group, it was a case of we all know Tuffy is winning it, but it's the knife fight for second place that for me that was the the real interesting group of death here. But yeah, definitely Tuffy would have to win the group. So who's sneaking through in, in second place then? I think I have to go for Stuckman to be honest. You just yeah, I think I I, I think it's. It's definitely a toss-up between Stuttman and Mickelson. I could see why you would go for either of them, but I think because Stuttman has been on the pod, I think I have to go for Stuttman. Andy? Yeah, I'm going for the same. Uh, just as uh, my experience with the, the other two goalies, uh, I don't trust them, but I do trust the, the big man goals, so I'm definitely going with Stuttman as well. I'm going to I'm going to back you up as well. Clean sweep for Stuttman to come in second and qualify for the next round. Partick Thistle's women's team returned to action on Sunday after several months off against Muir Thistle. David caught up with Campbell Finlayson of the Leading the Line podcast about the restart and Thistle's push for promotion. joined by uh, Campbell Finlayson from the Leading the Line uh, Women's Football Podcast to talk about the SWPL2 starting up this week. Um, Thistle in the tilt for promotion. Um, Campbell, hello, how are you? Doing very well, David, how are you? Um, not too bad. I'm excited to see how, how the, the women's team get on. I think it's going to be a very interesting battle. Um, I mean, looking at the table just before we, uh, you know, before everything starts up, it look, Aberdeen looked clear at the top. Uh, seven points clear of Dundee United in second, and then us and Hamilton on 19 points um, in third and fourth. Campbell, well, first of all, 
how do you, how do you do you think that Aberdeen do you think it is a procession for Aberdeen or do you think they're going to be under considerable pressure? Is is the title out of the reach for Thistles or do you think do you think they have a chance? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's it's out of reach fully, but Aberdeen have kind of been have been rampant for most of the season. I mean, it's their first year up, having been promoted um, last year, but obviously they've played ten games and won nine of those, and the only defeat was actually against Partick Thistle, and Thistle hammered them. I think it was five one that day um, at Glasgow Green. So there's, they know they can beat them, but yeah, the way Aberdeen have went on to say it's been they've had such a good season, and obviously seven points clear, um, and then they'll be eight points clear of them. Um, the, of the promotion spot so the plan at the minute is SWPL1 at the top tier they finish on Sunday when Thistles League starts back um, so this season there's no relegation and then it'll be the top two are going up to make a 10 team top tier and then this, if say Thistles stayed in the second tier that will become 8 teams for next season but then the season after there'll be promotion up with no relegation to make 10 so in a couple of years it'll be two leagues of 10 but for now it's just 8 and 10 so it's you have to fancy Aberdeen um, to go up there, but this will certainly feel they've got a good chance. Um, as one of the sides to go up second. It, there was a there was a wee bit of time where it looked like Fisa were in the title race before Aberdeen kind of pulled away. I think I'm right in saying the Fisa Aberdeen game was it wasn't near the end. It was it was sort of in the middle at that point, and I think a lot of people had kind of sat up and took notice of the fact that you know this team who were top of the league had just been absolutely hammered with Fisa five one and. We were still within touching distance at that point. I think like it, it's really interesting, like the sort of um, signings that they've been making. Obviously, like the old Thistle staple of getting loans in from the old firm because we've got a player from Celtic Rangers, and I think it is very the the, the SWPL one season finishing on Sunday is very very handy for for teams like ourselves, um, in terms of getting players in because. They're going to, um, you know, they're obviously going to be finished in the summer, so there is that sort of option to send people out on loan. And I've seen other teams like Hamilton Ackies and stuff that have been doing the same. Do you think that's going to have a big impact to sort of them flux of loanees coming in? There's definitely um, the chance that these players could make a difference. I mean, the teams that have got the strongest squads are probably, when you look at the table, they are really the top four or five teams in the league. And you can see why they're there, but some of the players coming in that could certainly help. I mean, Thistle obviously Cheryl McCulloch yesterday coming in from Celtic. She's um she she played for Celtic there for a good few years at a very top level. So it's it's a really good signing there for Thistle. And obviously, I mean, you look at the table and think fourth, but if you then look at points wise, it's only a point off second. There's there's a real chance that these players could make a difference. So there's there's certainly plenty to play for, and hopefully you'll see you'll see some of these loan signings making a difference. It feels like we signed um, an international goalkeeper from Malta mm-hmm. on Thursday as well, which is quite a, a surprising announcement. Uh, it's, I know it's second tier. Even in the men's game, getting an international to the second tier um, side is, is quite rare. But, you know, certainly in the women's game to get an international goalkeeper, obviously she's a Maltese international goalkeeper, so they're not exactly, you know, running away for World Cup or anything like that. But, I mean... To be an international goalkeeper, you need to be the best goalkeeper in your nation, to be honest, irrespective of how big or small it is. So it's always certainly an achievement. And I think that was that, that kind of took me by surprise that we signed her. I see a, a big name announcement, but, you know, it, it is sort of a big name um, for ourselves in the sense that signing internationalists is something that you don't really expect, especially in the second tier. And, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see how, how that one goes. 
It's certainly an interesting one. I mean, Anna Vincenti was um, she was at Motherwell a couple of seasons ago there, and she I think originally kind of threw football away to go yeah, to a different career, but is now back in you know, football in university again. Um, was on the bench for Hearts a couple of weeks back, and is now of course um, at Partick Thistle. So it's it's certainly a good sign. And I mean, Thistle, obviously the previous keepers I think had, had disappeared or were leaving before um, before this season was going to resume. So a goalkeeper was certainly um, was certainly on Thistle's wish list, and Anna's a good goalkeeper. I've seen her a couple of times playing for Motherwell, like you say. An international and correct to point out Malta, maybe not the biggest name in world football, but it's it's good to have a player that, as you're saying, is a goalkeeper for a country as well. So it's definitely a good sign in there, and it's it should be something that will be key for this or this season. I mean, they've, they've got a lot of a lot of quality in a lot of areas, but a goalkeeper was something they needed. So to get someone in with the experience that Anna's got is, is certainly a good sign in. Yeah, and is she? It, it's very strange as well because she uh, they announced that when they announced her, she mentioned they mentioned she was a former professional skier and boxer. If you think of high pressure situations, you think it's your your top three of going down a ski slope, getting getting punched in the face, or playing for Patrick Thistle. It kind of they're kind of the triumvirate of really stressful sporting <laughs> situations. So you know she's absolutely not one to you know shy away from a challenge in that way. But um, yeah, it, it, you know, it was a great sign, and definitely, uh, obviously, there was the announcement that like Thistle are going to be playing their games at uh, Walkburn Park and Mary Hill, uh, which is a it's a, a great thing. I, I think it's great, you know, obviously at this time when you can't really get teams uh, get fans into the the ground and stuff like that to have a bit of rent coming in and stuff like that. But I think one of the things that's always kind of not annoyed me, but like kind of, I would have like I've wanted to see improve was a lot of the places they were playing where you know like teams are playing really three uh, G cages and stuff like that, and like you know sports centers and things like that. So it's nice to have a team in a an actual ground as opposed to like a training facility or whatever. And I think that that definitely, hopefully, by the time it all comes round, we should hopefully you know see people being able to get in and support the team over the summer. And I think just being in a place at Lockbourne Park is. There's a lot of history there, and I think that it's you no, know, it's great to see. One thing I wanted to ask actually about just obviously the proliferation of the women's game in Scotland. Obviously, we've got coverage on the BBC Alba and BBC Scotland from time to time as well um, of the Premier Division. It, it really has come on leaps and bounds. You know, you get two Champions League places and stuff like that now from the SWPL one. Um, and you can see teams like Rangers and Celtic certainly over the last year or two have really pumped a lot of money in to sort of get their, their teams up to standards and you're seeing that as well with, with other teams as well like the game has changed immeasurably over the last two or three years from it was you know say back in 2016-17 and I think I, I think that obviously like Jackie Lowe has been on record before that the women's team is something that she has a great deal of passion for and wants to improve and thrive. And do you do you see other teams taking that? Do you see a lot of teams in sort of SWPL two maybe putting a bit of money into the game, um, just to try and get themselves to that sort of Premier League where there's TV money and the pro- the prospect of another Champions League spot that's not Glasgow City. Do you see that being something that's going to happen with a, 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 a more clubs um, down the line, for example? I'd love to think so. I mean, it's it's still really tough. Even you look at SWPL ones, obviously just finishing, and Glasgow City Rangers and Celtic are they're still quite clearly ahead of everyone else. Um, Hibs and Spartans maybe a different level then, but you look at the sides in the bottom end of that table, there's not really much difference between them and then the likes of Aberdeen, Dundee United, Hamilton, Partick Thistle trying to come up. So 
they would come up and then I think if they were definitely in at the top of the division you would see a lot more. Um, obviously Hamilton have been there before they play um, in the men's stadium as well so they're certainly a club that does it quite a lot of especially the teams in the second tier and then Thistle as you mentioned obviously you've seen the likes of what Brian Graham, Ricky Foster and uh, Ross Dockery on the coaching staff so the fact there that the, the club is sort of all kind of aligned together it does show that Thistle are, are passionate about it so I'd like to think so. Um, Aberdeen as well they use their training centre to play their games quite a lot United, I think, would perhaps like it to be a bit more sort of kind of conjoined with the club as to what it uh, compared to what it is. But there, there's definitely the suggestion there that it could happen. I mean, you look at the teams in the league out with well, Boromir and Stirling Uni, everyone, Glasgow women as well. So every other team there has a men's team and they either play in their ground or they're sort of linking up with them. So you're definitely seeing more of that sort of sort of like the cross promotion almost between the men's side and the women's team. So there's there's definitely. Um, the chance of that happening but I think it could all come down to if teams are then playing in the first or second tier Yeah and I think that's why it's really important for us to kind of make that promotion tilt now I think similar to sort of like League 2 in the men's game if I think it, there will be teams that will sort of be re-evaluating how they, how they operate knowing that there's going to be an influx of teams who kind of want to get to that point and they're putting a bit of money behind it, and they're going to have to battle these challenges to maintain their survival. So I think definitely you're going to see teams adapting. And it, like, it's it's very similar a, a European stage. You see, like, now this year, the Women's Champions League final was Barcelona versus Chelsea, whereas in previous years, you know, Leon were the big one. Leon obviously had a men's team, but they very much prided themselves on their women's team, and they were very much, you know, the, the best in Europe. But, I mean, you look at, historically, it was teams like, Turbine Potsdam and stuff like that, who didn't have a men's team, who were independent. That's kind of drifting away now, and we are seeing the proliferation of women's team, women's arms, or men's teams coming into the game and kind of changing it a little bit, which is a bit of a shame. I do like seeing sort of exclusive teams make their mark. Like Burnmuir, for example, you know, it's it's good to see, but it's going to be very interesting, and I think it, it makes it key for us to try and get out this time and you know, get that um, extra visibility that I think definitely if we can get into the Premier League it can do wonders and I, th- I think if we get to that point I think that the board will look at it and think they can make a tilt at getting sort of top half something like that and be- becoming a- a getting more of a foothold obviously there's three Glasgow teams there already but they are this year more equal so to speak like they know they are on a level playing field and I think that there is room for to at least make a, make a headway and, and put a bit into it and, and make a challenge I'm not saying they're going to win the title or anything like that but I mean like our, our women's team has been historically quite good Um, I remember I think it was two years ago we bit a team 18-0 we went the whole season undefeated and obviously it's like tier three or four or whatever but playing with confidence and playing the, the team that you wish the men's team were <laughs> and um yeah so like, I, I definitely think there is there is potential there to get into the Premier League and sort of make yourself a, a mainstay of that division I'm going to put you in the spot I'm going to ask for you who do you think is going to win the title and who do you think is going to get promoted and you are allowed to say another team just even though it's a official <laughs> podcast well I think obviously looking at the tables I say Aberdeen Seven points clear to second, eight ahead of third. They're they're surely going to win the league unless there's a total collapse, a bit like Falkirk had um, in the men's league one, which I can't yeah. I can't see happening. Um, it's tight. I mean, United, Aki's and Thistle separated by a point. 
even St Johnston are only another four off, off a second themselves, so it's likely going to be between those teams. Um, United, you'd say, are in the driver's seat at the minute just because they've got that gap there. Their, their fixtures are perhaps a more favourable for the start um, when the season starts back again, but I think it'll go right down. It's so, so hard to call. Um, United were, were hitting a good bit of form there. They had some of their key players coming back just before, before the league was stopped again. So in that aspect, you'd have to fancy them there, but if it genuinely could go either way. United play Partick Thistle um, up in Dundee on the last game of the season, which is, is going to be huge, obviously, and it could well come down to that. Um, part of me wants to say United, but I just have this sneaky feeling that Hamilton are going to come up. Hamilton have been the favourites for the title from the start, but I've had a bit of a poor season by their standards, but I just feel with some of the players coming in, I have the feeling that Aki's are going to take that second spot off United, but honestly, it could be, it could be anyone could be any of the sides, so there's there's absolutely no point in me saying sort of definitely who's going to win it. It could easily be Partick Thistle, but I, I fancy Hamilton, I think, to, to take that second spot. I think over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do sort of weekly updates, you know, just kind of going through, you know, the sort of position on the table and stuff like that and kind of just get a wee bit of um, just charting the progress of Thistle um, to their inevitable title win. Um, I'm, I'm calling it now. Um, and I, I, what I'll say is Falkirk are eight points ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, until about six weeks before the end of the, or a couple of weeks before the end of the season. So it's it's not it's not out of the realms of possibility. But definitely, hopefully, we'll, we'll have you on uh, sometime soon, and we'll, we'll kind of go through each game. So thanks again, Campbell. Um, and yeah, hopefully, speak to you soon. Yeah, not a problem. Last week, I was joined by Kieran Wright, who spent the 2021 season on loan at Thistle. It's Friday, three on Saturday, my programme's in my hands. With my scarf of red and yellow in the Jackie husband stand. The Burhole fans go crazy when onto the pitch they run. The Thistle team will do its best and so sings everyone. Kieran, just to get started, how did the loan move to Thistle come about last summer and what were your expectations for the season? Um, well, I had done pre-season uh, with Rangers and obviously because of COVID, League One, the Championship, League Two, all started a wee bit later than expected. So it was a longer pre-season for myself, but it kind of just came about. Um, I think Gary McAllister at Rangers knows Ian McCall and I'd gave him obviously some feedback on myself and I got a phone call just saying that Fissel were interested in a loan move and I, I jumped at it just because of the size of the club and the history of the club um, couldn't turn that away 
Were you given any promises about game time or anything like that? No, no, as I said, um, spoke to McCall on the phone prior to my signing and he made it clear that myself and Jamie Snedden were going to share the, the Betfred Cup games and then he would make a decision after that who would play, which I thought was fair enough. Um, gives the both of us a fair chance, fair fighting chance to get the, the number one jersey. But I had went away with Scotland and I, had, I think I'd missed two or three games of the Betfred Cup and Sned's I watched the games while I was away and Sned's had a really good game against Queen of the South and against Queen of the, uh, Queen's Park so I think he thoroughly deserved to get the first game of the season against Clyde. When you signed for the club did you did you know anybody? Did you know Kenny Arthur or anything like that? Well I think my goalie coach at Rangers Colin Stewart had worked with Kenny for a number of years at Thistle um, and on other things as well um, so I, I knew of Kenny I, I didn't particularly know him as a guy um, but I knew a few of the boys uh, obviously signed the same day as Reese Breen for Rangers um, Zach Radum was at Rangers previously with me, um, we Andy Rodden Luke Skillwin were at Rangers I and obviously Richard Foster so I'd known and played against a few of the boys before so it was good to get back and see them Can I ask you about what it's like playing without fans I imagine it's probably even tougher for a goalie because you don't, maybe a bit tougher to concentrate, what was it like for you adjusting to that? To be honest, that was the the thing that I no regretted as much, but just missed out on. Because what I've been told is the Thistle fans are second to none when it comes to getting behind the boys. And obviously I would love to experience that. But um, just going off social media, they're really supportive. And as you say, as I, it is difficult playing without fans. It's, at the start, it felt a wee bit false. But obviously at the home games... They were turning up their numbers at the canal, just watching us. Even that just gave you a wee bit of a boost that you wanted to do better. Um, the first half of the season, you tied the clean sheet record for the club. What did that mean to you and what was the sort of key behind that, do you think? Oh, it meant a lot, to be honest. Um, obviously, I was getting Kenny and my goalie coach at Rangers calling a wee bit of stick because obviously they played there before and I'd only played a, played a handful of games and managed to get the record, uh, equal the record, I think it was. Um, but no, personally I think it was true to the back four in all honesty back four was solid, Senna came in and he was solid uh, when Reese got injured and I think it was just consistency, I think it was just drilled into us in training and games that we just knew that we were going to go out and be a unit and be solid and be hard to beat. How much work was done in the training ground with that back four? Obviously goalies have their own individual uh, goalkeeping training regime but did you do a lot of work on the training ground with that back four in front of you? I can remember that period that, obviously, as you said, the goalies go and work themselves, but that period of time, I can remember the, the defenders going away with Alan Archibald and they were working really hard on basically just being hard to beat, being horrible defenders and not conceding. And I think it did show, obviously. And even going forward, I know we did concede the odd goal here and then after that, but I think as a unit, they looked solid, the back four especially. Yeah, how much easier is it as a goalkeeper to play when there are two settled centre-backs in front of you or a settled back four? Because obviously, not just in your time, but for the last few years at Thistle, we seem to have struggled to have settled on a back four or a centre-back partnership. How much does it make your job easier when there is that in front of you? It does make it easier. I think it's all about trust and I can trust the back four. But as you said, it did chop and change. But whether it was... Penners at left back or Richard Foster or on the right hand side Ryan Williamson and Keir McKenna. 
it was the same trust you had in them, and it did help having Richard Foster and Dan Brownlee because they were experienced. So it gave legs to me and Senna, who are were only 21 at the time, so we kind of had to take it off them, and they were brilliant with us, even just getting on at us or giving us some compliments. It just helped us boost our game. Can I ask you about the training? You mentioned Alan Archibald, and I brought up Kenny Arthur as well. Neil Scally's obviously involved with Ian McCall. How was the training at Thistle compared to what you've had with Rangers and what you've had with the under-21s? To be honest, it was kind of similar, um, just for looking in, because obviously Kenny takes us away. In terms of goalkeeping training, it was all very similar. Um, I don't know if that's just the way Kenny was brought up being coached, um, but I loved it, and it was good for me to settle in nice and quick, because... Even the outfield stuff when we were joining in with the boys, it was all very similar. It was like short, sharp, shooting stuff, crossing and finishing into the wee games. And to be honest, I didn't know what to expect in terms of standard, but honestly, there was no difference. Like The standard of the games, the possession was really high and boys were getting on each other's backs. They were getting, getting the best out of each other, which you could only ask for. And we've spoken on this podcast about Turning points in the season, and one of the big ones was your double save at Airdrie, which was about 10, 12 seconds before Scott Tiffany equalised up, up the other end of the pitch. For you, was that the big turning point of the season? Do you look at saves like that, and was do you think that was your best save in a Thistle jersey? I think it was my most important save in a Thistle jersey, and the best save I think I've made. But credit to the back four, I don't think I've had many big saves to make due to them being as solid so I think it goes down to them as a unit like protecting the goal but I, I do think that game was the turning point of the season and if it wasn't that game these five game I know I wasn't involved but I think we Joe Cardo's goal how he played in that game I watched it in the telly and I think that could be the turning point of the season as well but now nah, the Erdry game was special it was obviously we could have went 2-0 down and uh, I think that would have killed us but the fact that obviously the same the save came about and then we toughened up the part and squad, it just gave us that fight and belief back that we could go on winning the game. Obviously, you mentioned that you weren't involved in these five game, and it was sort of injury that saw you lose your place in the side when the league was secured. What was that like for you? Was it a bit bittersweet? It was. I I picked up the injury in the Cowden Beast game, and it was just I think I played two more games after it, which didn't help. But it was just that way you wanted to play like you wanted to do well for the boys but I think after the Dundee United game at Tannadice I was struggling for the first kick and I was like oh, I can't do this anymore but as you said it wasn't really bittersweet because I wanted the boys to go and win the league that was the what we wanted for the start of the season and it doesn't really matter if you play or you didn't play that's what you wanted and I've got a brilliant relationship with Jamie Stedden so Wanted to see him doing brilliant as well, and he did, so credit to him as well. Yeah, that's good to hear um, that you got on with then What's it like when there's a sort of maybe an uncertain dynamic of who's number one? I think it's quite unusual maybe in goalkeeping not to have an established number one. What was that like for you to be sort of in and out all season? Well, I think it was just really unfortunate what happened to Snedden at the start of the season with his knee. Because um, as I said, they had played really well in the games leading up to the injury. And then obviously I came back in and I was playing and then the season stopped because of COVID. And then when we came back, Sned was fit and we were playing. But again, there wasn't any 
negativity towards each other. It was always like, he's got my back, I've got his back. Whether who was starting on the Saturday, it didn't really matter. We would train the same, we would go about our business the same. Because I think if it was the other way, it, just, it would just become toxic. And like, I don't think any player, never mind goalie, wants that in the group. Uh, just to finish, Kieran, have you thought about next season at all? What are your plans and hopes and expectations for it? Um, planning to go back out and loan again. Um, I signed a contract back in April where Rangers keep me there for another two years. I sat down with the staff and they said they think it's best for me to go back out and loan and get some more game time, uh, some more experience. I've not really went into depth as to where, um, but I'll probably just find that out when I get back to training later in June. Yep, an eye on the Thistle results, no matter where you end up. Oh, definitely. Um, the club's grown on me. Um, I was saying to my dad and my brother, it's when you play with Thistle, it's, it grows on you right away. It's such a big club. Like You keep an eye on them wherever. And fingers crossed, I'd like to be back in a Thistle jersey. But um, I loved every minute of it. No, glad to hear it. Uh, thanks very much for your contributions this season and thanks for your time and joining us on here today. I appreciate it. Not a problem at all. Thanks for joining us on Group A of our Thistle Euro special on Draw, Lose or Draw. The four candidates that we have spoken about today will go to a Twitter poll for you to vote on for your favourite, as well the next three groups that we're planning to do very soon. Keep your eyes peeled on our Twitter at Draw, Lose or Draw and Facebook to look out for them. You can find our episodes on Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud. As always, stay safe, wear a mask and buy a season ticket.